The following KQED production was produced in high definition. So, what do this, this, and this have in common? Brace yourself. They're all algae. The Earth is home to more than 30,000 species of algae, a family of bizarre organisms that are neither plant nor animal. They're found from the tropics to the poles. Some are bigger than you, others are too tiny to see with the naked eye. And thanks to a few of the tiniest ones, someday you just might be using algae to fuel your car. Algae are really cool because all of them can do photosynthesis like plants, converting the energy of the sun into biomass and chemical energy. So they're pretty much everywhere you look. And I could even hold a petri dish out the window here and catch algae right out of the air. So sometimes you'll see me just driving along in Berkeley, holding a petri dish out the window like this and catching algae for, that I can take back to the lab and grow. So this is an example of what happens if I drive along holding a petri dish out the window. You can see there are a lot of colonies on this plate, and I see a couple of green colonies here. So those are some algae that we caught. Basically half a dozen colonies would be a good day for algae. And a good day for algae is a good day for humans. If algae hadn't started breathing in carbon dioxide and exhaling oxygen three and a half billion years ago, none of us would be here. If algae had never come along and produced oxygen for the Earth's atmosphere, uh, humans would never exist. Like most plants, algae have mastered a process called photosynthesis. Basically, algae act like little factories. They use the energy in sunlight to pull carbon dioxide out of the air. Then they break down water to manufacture that CO2 into sugars and fats and spew oxygen into the air as a waste product. But for the algae, those sugars and fats are what it's all about. They use most of these raw materials to assemble more algae, lots more. But in certain situations, algae are a bit like us. They can overeat sun energy, and they end up storing the extra energy as oily fat, kind of an algae spare tire. Some algae can produce more than 50% of their biomass as oil. In the lab and in applications for bioenergy now, we'd like to try and exploit that natural capacity. That's essentially the dream that's pushing algae into the biofuels headlines. Compared to corn ethanol, which requires the breaking down and fermenting of complex sugars, algae fat, a type of lipid, can be squeezed out and refined directly into fuel like biodiesel. And unlike fossil fuels, burning algae-based fuels wouldn't release any new greenhouse gases. Ideally, the overall process will be carbon neutral. The algae take up carbon dioxide, then that carbon dioxide gets re-released with no net increase in the CO2 carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It sounds great as a concept, but it's still not quite ready for prime time. For one thing, algae don't want to give up their precious oil, and they've developed a pretty tough skin to protect it. Getting the oil out isn't easy, and before you can do that, you need to start with a serious volume of algae, and that requires land. How much land? This will give you an idea. 
Along the southern edges of San Francisco Bay is a network of strangely colored, shallow, man-made ponds. They're actually massive industrial salt evaporation ponds. But the crazy colors come to you courtesy of various families of wild algae that grow near the surface. What you see out here is about 50 acres of ponds, maybe. And this would be typical size for an algae pond. Massive open ponds have long been considered the cheapest way to grow algae for biofuels. But oil used to be so cheap, it just wasn't worth the effort. Well, that era's over, and algae oil companies like Bob Walsh's Aurora Biofuels and Alameda are up to their knees in open algae ponds again. Our vision is you're going to have several thousand acres that will produce you know, 120 million gallons a year using salt water and land that's barren land that food can't grow. On paper, algae biofuels seem like the answer to everyone's questions. Finally, a carbon-neutral fuel that we can simply swap in for fossil fuels. But algae aren't the first biofuel source to be sold as the answer to everything. Remember corn ethanol? Let's just say it didn't quite work out as planned. We visited San Francisco's Mission District with Stanford University researcher Holly Gibbs to get a taste of corn ethanol's dark side. The idea of producing biofuels from regularly grown plants and, and crops seems like a great idea. What we didn't plan for were some of these unintended consequences. We saw the prices for corn, wheat, soybeans, and oil palm triple from 2000 to 2007. In fact, the 2007 U.S. ethanol mandate contributed to a nearly immediate spike in the price of corn worldwide. That translated to a 400% increase in the price of corn tortillas, sparking protests in Mexico and elsewhere. And the dangerous chain reaction continued from there. To make up for U.S. farmland that had changed over to biofuel crops, countries all over the world took up the slack by dedicating new lands to food crops. And they cut down and burned rainforests to do it. But consider this. Burning cleared forests already contributes more greenhouse gases to the atmosphere than the total exhaust from every vehicle in the world. And Holly Gibbs' research makes it clear. More and more forests are being burned to make room for crops. These pictures that are taken from space, taken from above, looking down at the land surface, it lets us track individual land parcels as they move into or out of different land cover categories. And what we found was startling. During the 1990s, for example, we saw that more than half of new cropland came from intact, closed rainforest. When we fuel our cars up with biofuels, we are effectively burning rainforest in our gas tanks. But algae ponds are different, right? You don't have to clear forests for them, and algae can grow in brackish or salt water where you can't grow crops. Then again, algae takes up a lot of space, usually far from the city. And the city is where you find factories and power plants, the most concentrated source of algae's favorite food, CO2. Here's how it would work. Just plop down an industrial warehouse next to a factory. Then pipe the CO2 belched out of the factory's smokestack straight into the hungry algae in the warehouse. And inside the warehouse, you might find something like this. 
It's a working prototype of a device called a photobioreactor, which is being developed by Origin Oil, a Los Angeles company. A lot of people would think these are lovely Christmas trees or, or disco lights. It's really the algae's taste, it's not mine. It's a proven fact that algae has better reception of light in the blue and the red wavelengths. These disco lights actually get the algae to do photosynthesis and grow. Origin Oil's idea is to scale up the individual containers to 10,000 gallons each. A setup like this could generate 1,000 gallons of algae oil per acre per day. The Helix bioreactor is pretty flashy packaging. Some algae scientists call it a technotoy that's just too expensive to provide a large-scale solution. And think about this. If algae biofuels are about harnessing the sun, where's the solar source? The devil's bargain in indoor production of algae is that you are now going to go away from direct sunlight. You've got lights, pumps, chillers, and all these things add up to an energy penalty. For Eckleberry, the added energy cost of supplying indoor light and climate control are worth paying when you compare it to the total energy produced by his algae wealth. So how soon are we going to run high-powered vehicles like jets on algae biofuel? The answer, now. In January of 2009, jet fuel refined partly from algae oil was used to power a two-hour experimental flight. For the growing number of algae biofuel startups around the globe, it was a shining proof of concept. But considering that algae biofuels currently cost a whopping $8 per gallon, it's a pretty tough vision to sell right now. Still, when weighed against the other biofuels options, it's hard not to get excited about algae's future. Algae has a great deal of potential, and part of the reason is that it overcomes some of these limitations we saw with the crop-based or land-based biofuels. We need to be cautious as we move forward. We need to think about some of the unintended consequences, the ripple effects or chain reactions that we might not be thinking of on the surface. You know, 10 years from now, what is this going to look like? From pond scum to power source, it sounds too good to be true, and it may be. It's still unclear if there's enough land to use open ponds effectively, or if bioreactors are just too expensive to scale up to factory size. Still, at the risk of being overly optimistic, isn't there something poetic about the possibility that last week's lowly slime, sushi, face cream, may just turn out to be next week's future fuel?